0: Well, we come this morning in Matthew chapter 16, we're going to give attention to verses 24 through 27, but I, for the sake of context, want to uh, begin up in chapter 16, verse 21. I'm going to read God's word beginning in Matthew 16, verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem. And suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed and be raised up on the third day. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, for you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but man's. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in the glory of his Father with his angels and will then repay every man according to his deeds. Truly, I say to you, there are some of those who are standing here today who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Amen. Would you pray with me as we just pause to ask God to help us understand exactly what Jesus is saying. Oh God, we do so now. We don't want to presume that we can understand and grasp what Jesus is saying for each one of us, the implications. And so we do pause to acknowledge that you're real, that you're the living God, that what we're doing this morning is not just a mere exercise or a cultural pattern, but that if it's of any worth, that it's a spiritual exercise and we are aided and helped by your Holy Spirit. Present here. So, Holy Spirit of God, please help in these next moments. Help me to be clear. Help us all to understand. Then help us, most of all, to embrace what Jesus says and to follow him. We ask for his name and honor. Amen. These are very stark words. They're not the first, it's not the first time that Jesus has used such stark language to speak the truth to those who would follow him. Uh, this is exactly opposite of what we would do in our time, and in our culture. This is, this is not what you do if you're looking to build a movement. If you're looking to start, he's build the church, he said that he would build his church. Uh, up in verse 18 of chapter 16, Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of Hades or hell will not prevail against it. And so Jesus has said he's going to build his church. He's going to uh, draw men and women to himself. And then he says, oh, and by the way, if you want to follow me, take up your cross essentially and die. Um, what? In our time and in our age, we always appeal to the value. We always give a, a sense to someone, hey, this is why you should do this. this is, it'll work out better for you. Things will be more pleasant Um, your life will be better, maybe your marriage will be better, Maybe, maybe you'll feel better about yourself, it'll be a more comfortable experience here on earth. But Jesus doesn't use any of that language. He doesn't appeal to us as spiritual consumers. I mean, if he's looking to make a pitch and trying to sell something, he is an utter failure. I mean, uh, some of you remember in, in elementary school, we well, at least where I was, we had these yearly magazine drives, and it was to raise funds for the school. And uh, there was always this man who came. I think his name was Mr. Burpee. And he always came with his comp- company, and, and, and all he had, all these little elementary students. And he'd always bring, you know, up in front on the table, it'd be full of all these toys and teddy bears and all these kind of cool gadgets that, you know, you could earn if only you sold so many magazine subscriptions to Time and Newsweek and National Geographic and all those other things, and you know, you're just a little boy or girl, you're just sitting there just thinking, score, I don't have to wait for Christmas or birthday, I've got another opportunity to get what I want. Well, I was absolute failure, miserable. I, I, could, I could hardly sell anything. I think the only thing I ever bought, any, anyone that bought anything from me was my grandmother, uh, she felt pity for me. Maybe my parents, you know, okay, we'll give the kid, you know, two magazine subscriptions. And I usually, all I got, some of you remember these little things, all I got was this little fuzzy weeble something, wobble thing that's stuck on your desk. I never got the cool toys of the, because I just was a terrible salesman. Um... And God made me a preacher. Go figure. But I, you know, I, I just I couldn't sell anything. I don't know why. I just I had a hard time with it. I I did not have the personality. Some of some of you have that personality, and you're good. and And it's reasonable for you in your line of business uh, to persuade someone of the benefit of this product or of this service that you are commending to them. I was a failure then because of of just I didn't have the ability. But I want you to notice here that Jesus he's not a failure as we know the church has been built it is being built but look at it what a terrible sales job. I mean, how does this go? If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. How's that work? There may you may even be here this morning and you have not decided to follow Jesus, uh, we're so glad you're here to, to be with us, to hear and to see uh, what we are about. But maybe you're considering the claims of Jesus Christ, and, and you're sitting here this morning, and you're saying, wow, um, in order to follow Jesus, in order to become a Christian, I need to deny myself, take up my cross, whatever that means, and follow him. That uh, does not sound very appealing. What is going on? What is Jesus doing? Something seems terribly wrong. It's it's a bit jarring for us. I used that word last week as well. It is. These words are, are stark to say the least. But even more so, it would have been the case for the original disciples who were there hearing these words. They've gone from, in a few moments, of hearing Jesus commend Peter for confessing that Jesus is the Christ, up in verse 16. Peter had said to Jesus, you are the Christ, that is the Messiah, that is the one that God promised would come, that would be the king, not only of Israel, but of the world, and would save sinners from condemnation. And Peter gets it because of God has revealed it to him, and the other disciples see it, that Jesus is the promised Messiah. This is a huge moment. This is the high point of the Gospel of Matthew so far. And then Jesus, in verse 21, as we read this morning, began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things, and be killed, and be raised up on the third day. That was not their plan. They had seen what Jesus could do. They had seen his miracles. They would seen his personality, his command and his teaching and preaching, where he gathered large crowds together. And they understood he was the promised Messiah. And so they just wanted to start the kingdom physically. They wanted to get rid of the Romans, rid of Herod, that bully. Uh, And they wanted Jesus to start reigning as king from Jerusalem right then and there. Their plan did not include any suffering, and never mind any, this killing of Jesus being killed. And so Peter takes Jesus aside, and, and you know, he, has a, he has a love for Jesus. He has, Peter has a zeal for the advancement of the kingdom. He wants the church to be built. But all of a sudden, Jesus is talking about suffering and dying, and that's not going to go well, and that wasn't in their plan. And so Peter said, God forbid it, verse 22, Lord, this shall not happen to you. And we saw last week what a shock and humiliation it must have been for Jesus to look Peter square in the eyes, man to man, and say, get behind me, Satan. Wow. And because we saw that anything that would divert Jesus from the plan that God his Father had for him in the saving of sinners, was as much as from Satan himself. And the key issue was, at the end of verse 23, you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but man's. And I'll just note again, we saw last week, that that's pretty much what dominates the church today, is we are obsessed with man's interests, and apparently very little concerned about what God is interested in. What is his interest, what is for his honor and his glory. And so, continuing on in that vein, Jesus again says these very stark words If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. The context of these words is is the shock of the disciples and Peter of what Jesus is saying about suffering and dying, the shock of of what Jesus is saying not being according to their idea, according to their plan. This is the context. And we're going to look together this morning at these verses and examine them a little bit more closely. One of the things I want to do right away, though, is I want to hopefully remove some misunderstanding. In other words, I want to try to clarify something right up front. Jesus' words in verse 24... And 25 and following are very stark, but they are very clear. And yet we can read into Jesus' words, ideas and thoughts that he did not have. For example, when Jesus says, if anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself, Jesus is not here teaching a religion of, of nihilism. In other words, you just need to not be concerned about yourself at all. The best thing for you to do is basically become... You know, Buddhist or, or whatever, and just, just yourself is absolutely just, just gone. No, obviously, that's not the concern. That's not the teaching. Because Jesus, down in verse 26, appeals to your valuing yourself. There's a, there's a sane way in which you are concerned about yourself and your future. And Jesus doesn't rebuke that, he actually appeals to it. He says, actually here, if you're really looking to be concerned about yourself and the good of your soul, you you want to follow me. So when he says deny himself, this is not some kind of um, annihilationism kind of teaching about you just need to completely do away with yourself. That's not what he's talking about. Neither is Jesus here uh, talking about some intense, radical form of Christianity. That's a very popular understanding of Jesus' words here, and among evangelicals especially. What Jesus is calling for among Christians is this, this really radical type thing. I mean, for Jesus, I mean, you know, don't wear any kind of comfortable clothing, and, and, you know, why don't you just, like John the Baptist, go out and eat some locusts or something, you know, and just be really hardcore for Jesus. Well, that's actually a very, that's, that's pushed on a lot of our evangelical young people especially. Uh, actually, but no, that's not what Jesus is teaching here. Notice he's not giving a two-tier level of discipleship. We're going to see this morning that this is, there's only one of two options. Follow Jesus or don't. There's only one way. True Christian Non-Christian. And so I want to just kind of dispel, because I think some of us, as we come to this passage, already we're thinking, wow, Jesus is calling for me to do something radical. I know I should. I don't know what it is, but I know I should, and and I just, I haven't, and my, if you're a Christian, and, and uh, I, I just don't know I can do this. This isn't very realistic. I want you to notice what Jesus is talking about isn't necessarily some radical one-time one off kind of trip or or decision. He's actually calling for a way of life. He's actually by come follow me. He's talking about daily living. He's talking about a certain kind of life in following him. So I want to organize our thoughts this morning. Maybe we can put it this way three I have three headings. I want you to notice that Jesus' words call for a decision. What is Jesus doing? He's telling the truth. He's telling you the truth. If you're here this morning and you're scratching your head, and what is Jesus doing? Why, is, why this language about denying myself the cross and all this? Whatever else you take away this morning, pick up this Jesus in a world of charades and salesmanship is telling you the truth. That's all he's doing. He's speaking the truth to you. He's not making a pitch. He's not trying. He's not going to lie to you about, you know, if you follow him, that, you know, your, your marriage is necessarily going to be better. Your kid's life is going to go better. Your job's going to go better. He's not telling you that you won't get sick. He's not telling you you won't make more money, which is how a lot of false teachers pervert the Bible. They appeal to you, oh, yeah, follow Jesus and, and things will be better. Jesus doesn't do that. He does say, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest for your souls. There is infinite benefit in following Jesus. But you have to understand that benefit in the context of the truth. And here are three truths, at least, that Jesus presents to us in these verses this morning. First of all, I want you to notice that according to Jesus, For every man and woman, boy and girl, according to Jesus, there are only two options. There are only two options salvation or condemnation. Salvation or judgment. That's it. Those are the only options. We start there because that kind of uh, we we get so focused on the cross language of verse 24 that we miss what Jesus is getting at here. In verses 26 and 27, he says, in essence, "What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? What will a man give in exchange for his soul?" And then in verse 27, he speaks of his coming again. And that every, he will repay every man according to his deeds. The words here are in the context of this truth. Every man and woman is going to stand before God one day and give account for their life and their deeds. And there's only one of two results, or one of two options. When you stand before God, you are judged for your sins, and you are condemned, or... Because of Jesus Christ and you're following him, you are saved. That's what Jesus says. He says, verse 25, whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Jesus promises that if you follow him, that you will escape ultimately death and condemnation for your sin. But I want you to notice, it's not like there's multiple options here. There's, there's the really, really bad way, the not-so-bad way, the barely-make-it-into-heaven way, and then the super-duper, hardcore Christian way. There's only two options, according to Jesus. Salvation or condemnation. And he's not using a scare tactic. Do you understand? It's scary. You have to think about it. Jesus is just trying to impress upon sinners like you and like me. He's just trying to tell you the truth. In a world of deceit and and influenced by the liar, Satan, constantly telling us falsehoods, helping us to believe a lie. I mean, you can just think about how most people are just in the dark about the truth. Most men and women live their short little life as if they're not going to die. That's insane. I mean, and really in the context of COVID, if I can say for a moment, the, the, the concern is understandable, but the paranoia is insane because newsflash, we're all dying. All of us. Okay, so you got another year, 5, 10, 15, 75, 80, you you die. That's that's normal? Death is a reality for all of us. It's coming. And yet, most women and women live. They just kind of live, eat, drink, go to work, sleep, and just then it happens. And, you know, I don't know. Wow. That's just the reality. Jesus is telling us the truth. There's only two options, judgment or salvation. There's only one end, one of two ends for each man and woman. Only two options. Secondly, I want you to notice this morning, we are to have only one expectation from self and the world. There's only one expectation from from self and the world, and that's opposition. This world is opposed to God, opposed to Jesus Christ. Why? Because God is God, and he has all rule and all authority. And Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords. He's master. He is God and Christ, and so he has the authority, and the authority to tell us who we are, how we are to live, and how he is to be pleased. Oh, how does that go over in this world? That's a hard sell. Our culture says, oh, no, you're your own authority. You are the ruler of your life. You didn't determine the day that you were born. You don't determine the day that you died. You don't determine any of the circumstances in your life. You have a hard time even getting out of bed in the morning, but you're the ruler of your life, and I am, right? But we believe the lie, and with our gadgets and our trucks, maybe i'm just envious i want a truck you know but i you know but we oh man we we've, we've got it we i'm i've got this you know i've got my life hacks and those other foolish people around me they haven't got this figured out but i've got life figured out i have a very difficult relationship with anybody in my life i don't have much companionship with my spouse my kids hate me but i've got this it's just utter folly in this world and We have this idea that we are our own little rulers, our own little gods and goddesses. But it's not the truth. God is God. Christ is Lord. And so, when Jesus comes and lays claim to your life and to mine, there is opposition first in our own heart. Because there is pride in my heart. And I do think that I am my own God, and I should make decisions for myself, how I want to live my life, and so forth. Myself, my sinful self, does not bow easily to this truth that there's a God and I'm not He. There's a king and I'm not the king. And the world as a whole, this, this, the billions of people on this planet, the governments and so forth, they don't bow to the fact that there's one God and his truth and his ways. And so when Jesus says, up to verse 24, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Why cross? Because it's the best illustration for him to impress upon his disciples as to, how, as to what you should expect if you follow me in this world. This is what you should expect if you follow me in this world. You should not expect a warm welcome. You should not expect that people are going to be great. But if you follow the Lord Jesus Christ, this world, because it hates him and hates God, it'll likewise not to think highly of you, think too highly of you or me. He's just being honest with his disciples. Guys, I'm not going to go riding into Jerusalem and be set on the throne with everybody thinking this is great. Oh, God has come. God's Son has come. Oh, let's all turn from our sin and our willful ways of living. Let's repent and let's follow and believe in the Lord. It's, that's not going to work that way. They're going to hate me. They're going to beat me. They're going to flog me. They're going to crucify me. And if they're going to do that to me, to Jesus, who is the king, the leader... Of course, they're going to treat his disciples in a similar way. Jesus here is just telling the truth. He's preparing his disciples that in this world, that his people will have trouble. But did, is this, should this have been brand new for the disciples? No. I want to turn, turn with me for a moment. Keep your finger in Matthew 16. Turn with me, if you know, in the Old Testament, the book of Daniel... there are two passages in Daniel, Daniel chapter seven and Daniel nine that are in the background of what Jesus is saying in Matthew 16. Daniel chapter seven, Daniel, who was a godly man, God gave him an insight, a vision to the way things really are. A little insight into heaven and to this vision of the future. Daniel in Daniel 7, verse 13 says, I kept looking in the night visions. God was revealing these things to him. And behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man, remember that title, was coming and he came up to the ancient of days. Title for God, the Father, God Almighty. And he was presented before him. And to him, this son of man was given dominion, glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and men from every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. And so the disciples knew these words. These were words about the Messiah, this Son of Man. Jesus used that title of himself regularly, and they were excited about this kingdom coming, and they figured it was they were right on uh, target, on plan but they had missed Daniel 9. Daniel 9, verse 26. And yes, this is prophetic language, and uh, it can be a little bit difficult for us to figure this out, but there's something that's very obvious here, very simple, that we don't need to be confused about. That in the future, Daniel says, after the 62 weeks, this period of time, the messiah will be cut off and have nothing that the messiah would come the bible prophesied the king the christ would come but at his first coming he would be cut off meaning he would die he would be killed for a time he would be away he would be cut off and so the disciples should have known that the first coming of the messiah included suffering and death It was foretold. The world hates the kingdom of God and Christ. And so when we follow Jesus, we should not expect that our our sinful self is excited about that. Because Jesus is King and He is Lord. And His Word then begins to tell me how to live how I ought to think, and that means that some of my habits and my patterns need to change. I mean, good luck telling a New Englander that they should change, right? Well, that's exactly what Jesus does. He tells not only New Englanders and hardcore New Hampshireites to change, but men and women of every kind. He calls on us to repent. And so when Jesus uses this cross language, denying ourselves, taking up our cross and following him, He's just telling us the truth, that when we decide to follow Jesus, we should not expect that it will be easy, that things will necessarily be more comfortable or go better for us, or that we will receive warm welcome from our own hearts, first of all, or from the world. It's going to be a battle. Only one expectation from self and the world, opposition. The church today, we've forgotten this. Even though Jesus repeats this so many times, we still seem convinced that Jesus is such a likable character and that what he can do for your life is such, so good that we can sell people on it and that we can just tell them all the benefits of being a Christian and they'll come in and they'll fill the church and it'll just be one happy experience. The church today largely forgets or denies That this world is in opposition and that there is no one ultimately that would turn to Jesus apart from the grace of God. So we should have only one expectation from self and the world, that is opposition. Thirdly and finally this morning as we just reflect on these verses, only one motive. By now, at this point in the message and and as we think on these words, the question might be in the room, so why would anybody follow Jesus? If you're asking that, you're, you're, you're coming close to the truth. That's good. Because we are in this world, this world promises and people promise us all kinds of, of things that will help our lives. We are used to being as the consumer we are ultimate we are the one who people have to make a pitch to in order to persuade us of one way or the other and so at this point as a spiritual consumer what jesus is saying right i'm sitting here i'm saying okay so why I said only one motive, but even as I'm preaching, I'm thinking there actually Jesus here does this two sided, maybe one motive. <laughs> the first is he appeals to yeah, so let's say let's lay, let's say two motives. <laughs> here, I'm I'm having to change this as I stand here. There's one ultimate motive. But the immediate motive, one practical motive is why would you follow Jesus? Let me get really practical. What Jesus says is because he's coming back and he's going to render to you according to your deeds. You're not going to escape. A real practical motive is to save your own soul. Jesus appeals to this. He says, "He says, what profit does a man gain the whole world? That's great. You've you've built up a little bit of uh, life savings." you know, your your occupation, your business, uh, you got some toys to play with and stuff, and your retirement, whatever, that's good. Well, what if you were even more wealthy than you are? You had the whole world. But then you die and you stand before God and He asks you and judges you according to what you did with the life that He gave you. And you dishonored Him, you did not love Him as God, you did not honor Him as God you pretended as though you were your own God, your own Lord, which of course is an offense to him. If he made you, gave you your life, gave you breath, gave you everything that you enjoyed and you were a steward of, and what did you do with it? You used it for your own vain purposes. What would profit a man if he gains the whole world but forfeits his soul? A sinner's soul is already forfeit we're already, when we're born, born in sin, and then all of us act upon our sinful nature, we're already, our souls are already forfeited. We dishonor God, every single one of us. The Bible says, all have sinned. And so, the motive for following Jesus is to save your own soul. I mean, he's, he's appealing to you with the truth here. He's just saying, hey, hey look, at, look at the realities. Here's your two options, as we said already, two options. You're either condemned in your own sins or you're with me and you are saved and you have life everlasting. But the dominant motive that Jesus appeals to, and I want you to notice, is up in verse 24. And it's, it's throughout these verses. Jesus is standing there. He's talking to these grown men, different guys, different occupations, white collar, blue collar, right? All kinds of different personalities. He's calling these men to follow him and telling them, but if you do, you're going to suffer. And for many of them, they will be martyred, most of them. So why? Follow me. The ultimate motive is this, Jesus Christ himself. Notice he says, follow me. He's looking them in the eye. Follow me. This is incredible. He's just brought to their attention that he's going to suffer. He's going to be killed and then he's going to rise again. He's already told them that he's going to be raised on the third day. The kingdom plan is on course with what God had said. But if they're going to follow him, if you're going to follow Jesus, it's going to involve denying yourself and it's going to deny suffering. I mean, it's going to include suffering. A really helpful description of what Jesus means here by taking up your cross is found in the book we're studying in Sunday School together, devoted to God's church by Sinclair Ferguson. Let me just read this one sentence. Sinclair Ferguson is explaining what Jesus means by taking up your cross. Listen, this is so helpful. Jesus is saying with graphic imagery that a disciple is someone who is prepared to follow him and die to his or her own plans and submit to God's purposes. A disciple is someone who's prepared to follow him and die to his or her own plans and submit to God's purposes, whatever they are, wherever they may take us, and whatever it will cost. That's what Jesus is referring to. This was not the disciples' plans. This was not Peter's plan. This whole going to Jerusalem, suffering, being killed, that wasn't in the plan That was Peter's interest, not God's. And what Jesus is saying, if you're going to follow me, this isn't going to be about your plan. This isn't going to be about your interests. This isn't going to be about your habits or the way that you do things or just the way you are. It's my way. Follow me. Wow. So, so, why did they follow him? These are grown men. These, these aren't, these aren't uh, men who are easily manipulated. I mean, I'm just guessing a guy who goes out and fishes every single day, works with his hands, toils at that. I don't think he's too gullible, like Peter and his brothers. What is it that compelled them to follow Jesus? I think the biggest answer at the end of the day is not merely that they were seeking to save their own souls. But here is the greatest motive, and he was standing right in front of them, and his name is Jesus. That Jesus himself is that good, that glorious, that true, that worthy, that he is worthy of denying ourselves. He's worthy of whatever opposition or condemnation or criticism that we might receive in following Him in this world. It is all nothing in comparison to the worth of just who He is. He is our Lord. He is our Maker. He is our God and our King. He is our Savior. He is a faithful friend. He is our Shepherd. He is our Master. He is our only hope. And He's standing there and He's telling you the truth. He's not Selling you on some lie that if you follow him, things will be easier. He never said that. He's telling you up front that if you want to save your soul, you've got to follow me. And if you follow me, here's likely what you are to receive, both from your own soul, your own heart, yourself, and this world. And yet he can make that appeal and even that command to follow him because he is so worthy. And if you're here this morning and you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior, this is God's word. Don't ultimately, you know, listen to this, this preacher. It's, it's the Bible we're looking at this morning, and I'm trying, however, however poorly, or, or making an effort to try to explain it to you, but I beg of you, just look, look and listen to the Word of God. Jesus is calling you to follow him and to be saved. And His appeal to you at the end of the day, is just the truth concerning who you are and concerning who He is. Your soul is already forfeited. All of us are condemned in our sin. You must be saved and reconciled to God. And the only way you can be saved is through repenting of your sin, confessing and trusting in Jesus Christ. The only way of salvation is by following Jesus. That's it. There is no other way. trust in Jesus. And for those of you who, maybe it was a long time ago that you first decided to follow Jesus, maybe you remember in those early days, you knew the cost was great, but at that time, it, it, it didn't seem like much because you knew and felt the consequence of your sin. And you were so amazed at Jesus. Do you remember the beginning, early days, it was about him? Lord whatever you want me to do wherever you want me to go that's okay lord just just i just want to follow you but isn't it true that as time goes on that we can lose sight of jesus and and self begins to gain a little more authority in the christian's heart than it ought to have the the self authority this is what this is about self this is about who gets to call the shots And self, over time, begins to say, well, you know, that's just the way you are. Or, well, you know, you did so much for Jesus back then, and you suffered, and you deserve a little bit of a break. Why are you following after Jesus so much, so hard, when it costs you, your family, your friends, all this discomfort, just coast. This is a call this morning to those of us who have decided to follow Jesus to follow him afresh. Because I remind you, there's only two options. This is not a super duper Christian life. This is the ordinary Christian life. There's only one way of following Jesus. There's only one way, of denying ourselves and taking up our cross. There's an old hymn, um, old hymn, it's a kid's hymn, and I've sung it before or, or referenced it before. I have decided to follow Jesus. I don't know when I first sang that as a kid, and I really meant it. I remember singing it frequently. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. Though none go with me, still I will follow. Though none go with me, still I will follow. Though none go with me, still I will follow. I have decided to follow Jesus. And with youthful zeal and with all I knew at that point, yes, I'm gonna follow Jesus. And I didn't know him as perhaps as, as much as I do now, but I knew him and my heart I, I was sincere and earnest. But I wonder if with time, the passing of years, some of us who are middle-aged, which is really kind of funny, people say I'm middle-aged. I don't think so. I think I'm post-middle. <laughs> And you know, we got to be practical. And we have all these other rationales that dampen that heartfelt, original, earnest, singular love for Jesus and following him. You once, Christian, decided to follow Jesus. The passage before us this morning is asking you this morning, is that still your decision? Will you still deny self, take up your cross, and follow him? And if you truly are a Christian, you know in your heart, whatever the appeal of yourself, the, I mean, our self is really like a overgrown toddler crybaby. Mine is anyways, maybe yours isn't. If we examine, those of us who've known Christ, we know that at the end of the day, for whatever heartache, whatever changes are going to be necessary in our lives, things that need to be changed, our attitude, our time, our use of our resources, whatever he's calling us to, that's the deal. If we're truly born again, we know that as he speaks these words to us this morning, he's worth it. He's worth it. You are worth it, Lord. Forgive us for the times in which we betray that truth. Forgive those of us who are those who professed faith in you a long time ago for where we've become well we've become accustomed to giving to the self whatever it wants, whatever it demands, and and if we've become weary of the world's disapproval. Forgive us, Lord, and help us this morning to renew our love for you, renew our love for you, we pray, and help us to follow you, Lord, for there is no other way, and we understand that. I pray for those who are here this morning who have yet to trust in you, to follow you, and that man or woman's here this morning, and I don't know who he or she is, but you do, and you're calling him, you're calling her to turn from self and from sin, to confess sin and to acknowledge you as his or her Savior and Lord. I pray you'll help those who are here this morning who who have not decided to follow Jesus, that today would be a day of decision, that they would call out to you and that they would follow you, Lord, with all their heart. We ask this in your name. Amen.